Wonder Thing Studios proudly presents a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast. 20 Minutes with Shauna Germain. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Christiana Ellis. And you've tuned into a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast, 20 Minutes With. 20 Minutes With is a chance to dig deep, or at least 20 minutes deep, with some incredible individuals who are making the world a better place with their creations. Indeed, indeed. And 20, we should say 20-ish minutes, because as we all know, <laughs> it doesn't even start at the timer just does not hold us. We are not bound by time in this respect. Uh, dear friends, my co-host for this episode, award-winning author and narrator, author of Nina Kimberly the Merciless, writer, producer, and star of the Space Casey audio drama. She's narrated stories for all... All of the Escape Artist podcast, and she's a podcasting fiend on a variety of topics. Christiana Ellis, I am so delighted to have you as my co-host for this episode. Thank you, ma'am. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. It's great. Absolutely. I'm delighted. I'm this there is so much awesomeness to come. Having you as my co-host is awesomeness number 1. Let me introduce you to the next layer, the next level of awesomeness for this for this episode of 20 minutes with. May I? You may. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, now, dear friends, uh, there is a rumor that our guest host was delivered by the Easter Bunny at 4.20 a.m. to the family home in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, but as there was no Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook back in 72, uh, we have no corroborating data. Uh, but we do know shortly after that, her family moved to a farm in Ithaca, New York. Uh, and aside from fond memories of tapping maple trees and making maple syrup with her grandfather amid the splendor of the New England autumns, it was here that fate conspired to ensure that gaming and writing would always be a part of her world. Now, at the age of six, it was clear that the literary pulse was already beating strong in her heart because she defined happiness as being Stephen King. <laughs> I mean, he writes books. He lives in a spooky castle. What more could anyone want? Uh, now, she claims that her family had a strong hippie vibe going on, uh, complete with really long hair, growing their own food, and a record collection belonging to her father that was legendary. However, her grandmother was a hardcore gamer. Anything involving cards, dice, boards, and even game controllers was fair game in her house. She even created a few games herself. Now, she was a ruthless player, but a gracious winner. And inspired in our guest host, not only a love of games, but also an intriguement into how they worked and how to play with style. Now, while most people can cite Dungeons & Dragons as their first gaming experience, not so with our guest host. She was a huge Watership Down fan as a child. So when her babysitter pulled out bunnies and burrows, she was first in line to roll up a bunny character practiced in the art of bun-foo and start rolling dice. Uh, she was eventually and inevitably introduced to D&D courtesy of the boys' soccer team in high school. And even though she ended up with a dwarf cleric as a character, she still had a blast, though she vowed to never again allow someone else 
to build a character for her. And with a dwarf cleric, I don't blame her. Uh, Now, in college, she volunteered as a paramedic and a firefighter. Now, this provided her with two things. A startling affirmation that the 18-year-old her was not invincible or immortal, and a fabulous foundation for the psychology degree she would go on to pursue with a specialization in post-traumatic stress. Now, with her degree in hand, and this is the first of three she would eventually acquire, she embarked on what I think every college student should undertake, an epic road trip. She traveled most of the U.S., but when she arrived in Portland, she knew she'd found a very special place. So special, in fact, that she didn't leave for 12 years. Now, While she was freelancing and writing like crazy during this time, she was also bartending at Fridays, which led to practicing flipping liquor bottles over her bed to minimize the breakage. Now, at this point in the narrative, I really kind of need to dissolve to a montage because, quite frankly, she's doing a lot. There's poetry, there's fiction, ghostwriting, erotica, journalism, winning awards, traveling the world. In 2001, she was one of the founders and the managing editor for Nervy Girl magazine. Then in 2003, she was the managing editor for Roast magazine, where she worked until 2009. She also worked as a poetry reviewer for the American Journal of Nursing. Which just really kind of blows my mind. I didn't expect the American Journal of Nursing to have a poetry section. Uh, Clearly, I need to brush up on my journals. Uh, Her work had appeared in everything from Salon Magazine and MSNBC to Best American Erotica. Then she was listening to the radio one day, a feature show where two women were talking about the demographics of MMO gaming culture. Now, the statistics indicated that a growing number of successful women in their 30s were gaming, and the hosts of the show expressed disbelief and disdain that successful adult women should be involved in gaming. Now, I wasn't there, so I'm not sure exactly what our guest host said at that moment, but it was apparently something along the lines of, bitch, challenge accepted, because within a month, she started working for World of Warcraft magazine. Her reputation as a savvy and passionate writer, editor, and activist was spreading. So when she launched the Kickstarter for an astonishing idea for an anthology in 2012, people stood up and took notice. Geek Love, an anthology of full frontal nerdity, launched looking for $8,000 and received backing in excess of $32,000. But success doesn't mean all obstacles are magically swept aside. Case in point, Amazon refused to let her publish the book through their site. Then they suspended her account for trying to publish the book that she didn't publish. Now, I'm not sure where the internet meme of WTF started, but right there sounds like a really good place. Now, fortunately, the fine folks at Drive Through Fiction came through, and Geek Love found a place where the fans could buy it. Now, in an interesting epilogue to this whole saga, Amazon saw our guest host's posts about the debacle and called her, saying the book was refused in error and and she could reopen her account and publish anyway. And friends, I really think her response may tell you everything you need to know about her. She said, thanks, but we already went exclusive with another company because our experience with Amazon was so bad, we're not interested in coming back. 
Booyah! Love it. And here's where things changed. Now, her friends arranged a covert setup at a party between our guest host and a charming, intelligent, creative chap they thought would be perfect for her. They were right. The sparks flew, and soon our guest host was leaving Portland for the other coffee capital of the world, Seattle. But coffee wasn't on the agenda. Forming a new game company was. See, the gent at the setup was Monty Cook. And he and our guest host co-founded Monty Cook Games. Because they had an idea for a new kind of role-playing game in a new kind of world. It was called Numenera. And it was unlike anything anyone had seen before. So, our guest host leveraged her years of experience promoting, marketing, and packaging literary wonders and applied them to the Numenera Kickstarter. They were asking for $20,000 to do the project right. They crossed their fingers and threw the switch. They were funded on the first day. By the time the 30-day campaign wrapped up, they had received over half a million dollars in support from gamers, fans, and visionaries who wanted exactly what Numenera offered. Numenera was a smash hit and launched a whole stream of astonishing artwork and collateral material. When they launched the Kickstarter for their next RPG, The Strange, they asked for $60,000 and received over $400,000. Numenera has gone on to receive numerous awards, including the Origins Award for Best Role-Playing Game in 2014 and 10 Any Awards, including Product of the Year for that same year. As co-owner and lead editor for Monty Cook Games, our guest host is transforming the way we play, read, and explore stories. She is the Lexi Maven, the Vorpal Blonde, and Schrodinger's Brat. And while her coffee preferences are dependent on the day, she likes her beers dark, sweet, and chocolatey, with just a hint of smoke or coffee. Dear friends, please join me in welcoming to the big chair here at the round table, Shauna Germain. Shauna, standing amid the empire that is Monty Cook Games and all of the other projects that I know you have going on, I I am so delighted and grateful that you could make the time to speak with us today, ma'am. Thank you so much. I want you to write my my biography, please. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was just sitting there thinking, holy cow, I've, I'm really old. To have <laughs> I like <laughs> oh, You've blogged about that many a time. You know exactly how old you are. You just crammed a lot into those 43 years, baby. Yeah, I'm I'm wavering somewhere between oh my god and <laughs> and wow, you really did your research. That was awesome. <laughs> well, good. Any any egregious errors in there? Anything that I that I missed or misspoke about? I don't think so. It's it, I not not that I can think of. <laughs> you just forget when you're living your life that that all these things have happened to you. So. Well, exactly, and and you are you are a very social media present individual. So I had a rich field to to pull from. So. I have no secrets. That's right. That's right. You're bold and forthright in all you do. Now, before we start the timer, I just want to ask one quick question outside of the confines of the 20 Minutes with Framework. And and that is this. Shauna, you end every single blog post I've ever read of yours with kiss, kiss, bang, bang. 
Could you tell me, is there something going on that I don't know about there? What's, what's the background on that, on that signature sign-off? It, you know, well, it's a fantastic movie. And well, uh, yes. it's in a song lyric, which I will allow people to look up on their own if they just choose to. But it also c- combines the two things that are kind of the essence of my work, which is sex and death. Uh, <laughs> term, you know, you know, because with the kiss, kiss, bang, bang, um, you know, I always try to be a little bit dangerous and a little bit in your face, um, but sort of with kindness. <laughs> and so it just seemed very apropos to kind of who I am and the things that I write. I love it. I love it. And I've always said when you I've, I've heard you speak before about your 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 proclivity towards orienting on sex and death to which i say so you're focusing on the little death and the big one yes exactly absolutely. awesome okay <laughs> <laughs> christiana did i just steal one of your questions you did i was going to ask the same thing <laughs> see great minds wander the same back alleys that's all right we've got 20 minutes with shauna Germain. i have no doubt there's going to be some awesome uh, uh, uh writerly mojo being tossed about so uh let's roll into this and see where we're at. i'm gonna i'm gonna set the timer just so I can justify the the existence of the thing. Um, and let me lead off with my first question, Shauna. Um, you, you've cited many times, both in your preferences of fiction and of role-playing games, that you prefer a, a story-driven, character-oriented framework uh, for, for those experiences. And certainly your erotica and, and your other fictional works have potent genuine, authentic characters driving those stories. And I was wondering if you could share for our listeners, what's your process for character development? Uh, is, is it a very organic, poof, an idea shows up and you begin fleshing it out? Do you, do you have a, a, a framework that you're working with? How does that work for you? Well, you know, when I first started writing, I bought a lot of how to write books. Um, and a lot of them had these sort of character sheets that you would, you were supposed to fill out, like <laughs> the eye color and the height and what did your character do? And, and I would try to fill those out and I would find that they were utterly boring and not very much help. And I thought, Oh God, I'm a horrible writer. I can't even make a character. Um, and of course, what I eventually realized was that actually characters are my strength. And so filling out those forms didn't work for me because I didn't actually need help with that aspect, although I I needed help with other aspects. (laughs) Um, It's like you go to the gym and you work the part of you that's already strong because it's easier. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, sure. um, And so for me, a character, I'm very character driven. I'm all about the voice. And so I will walk around with an idea for a really long time. and, And as soon as I have that character's voice. Um, then I can sort of sit down and start and figure out who they are by writing. So I don't do any pre-planning. I just have this person, this individual in mind, and they kind of come to me with all their pieces, parts attached, right? I know a lot about them and a lot about their history and a lot about their internal landscape of what they desire. And, and I sort of use that to push the story forward. Like, how, do you, how do you know that? How, does it, they just come to you whole cloth like that? They do often, um, but sometimes sometimes they don't. And so I have to, like, my writing process is horrible and I don't recommend it, which is that I write a paragraph and I learn something about the character and then I write the second paragraph and I learn something else. And then I go back and change the first paragraph a little bit because I've learned something new about the character. Um, and so my writing process is actually very, very slow because I'm writing to learn what I what I want to write about or what the character needs um, and so it's this very sort of back and forth process where I'm always, adju- it's like driving. I'm always kind of adjusting the story and the character as I understand it. Okay. Is, is there something that, that, you know, twigs in your mind as you're, you know, I understand absolutely the, the discovery writer vibe. You're, you, you, exp- you follow an instinct, you read it out. Is there something that pings in your mind when you write something down and go, oh, 
oh yeah, that's it. That's the hook or that's the thing or that that needs to go into this character. Is there some, I don't know, a meter, a measure, something that goes off? There is. You know, I call them my red dresses. <laughs> description. But it's like you look in the closet and there's all this gray stuff and, and then there's this one dress or this one object like bright red and it sort of glows and you're kind of going oh that's the thing that's that's just perfect for this experience and so when I write I, I really pay attention to those those red dress things the thing where you write and you kind of get the shivers and it changes your body a little bit and you're like oh oh and sometimes that's awesome because you're like oh I get that that's what I need and sometimes that's bad because you're like oh no that I I can't use that because I have to change the whole story but of course you know it's red and it's shiny and you know it's the right thing and so eventually you just have to kind of bow to the story <laughs> <laughs> your muse has said no no it's oh, this God. story <laughs> Christiana what 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 do you have for for Shauna? Well, so I, I I feel like I can kind of guess where you might go with this question uh, based on what you were just saying. But what I was uh, because a lot of your work, as you kind of mentioned, focuses on you know sex and death, and you work uh, in a lot of these you know niche genres. Uh, do you ever do you feel like you're choosing your projects in order to fit into those genres at all, or are you just really writing what? Uh, you feel called to write and it just kind of happens to always be in those niche genres? You know, I think that's a great question because my experience starting out as a writer was that I was a, a very literary writer and my stories kept getting rejected from literary magazines because they had too much sex. Um, and so, you know, I was writing these stories that, that were, that weren't that sexual. I mean, you know, this was in, I think 2001 when I really started writing fiction, trying to really submit fiction um, and they just kept getting rejected and rejected. And finally, I submitted to an erotica publication. Um, and the first time I submitted, it got accepted and I got paid. And I was just like, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, for me, the, so for me, the genre stuff is more about what happens after the story, how I sell the story, where it ends up, you know, and, and, and that's always changing. Right. So my stuff that was getting rejected from literary magazines in 2001 now would be accepted because Literary magazines have a different feel. You know, sex is more common. It's more accepted. And so those genres are always changing. And, and so the erotica genre now has gotten very niche. Like the, the publications are uh, very specific. So, you you know, you have an anthology that's about this very, very specific fetish. Um, and it has to, all the stories have to fit into that specific fetish. And so it's weird and interesting how the genres, some of the genres are becoming more niche and some of the general stuff are becoming more open. Um, and so that, that stuff for me is all about what happens after. Um, the story itself is always my first, is always my first thought. And then kind of someone else labels it for me and puts it wherever it needs to go to sell. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Shauna Germain after this brief promotional break. The Flashbulb Podcast. Three to ten minutes of fiction brought to you thrice weekly. From cosmic horrors to fisticuffs, fast cars and smart mouths, we've got a chill for every spine. Find it all at flashpulp.com or search for it on iTunes. <laughs> Let's get back to the conversation with Shauna Germain. Well, I'm, I'm curious, having seen that that transformation over the last 15 years or so, have you felt that those 
those shifts in the genre lines, as it were, has that affected your writing personally, do you think? Probably not. Um, you know, I feel like my writing is, is super internal. Um, and, you know, if I, if I had my dream job, it would just to be to write constantly and let someone else take care of, does this sell? Where does it sell? You know, who, who buys it? What genre is it? Um, <laughs> although I try, but I try to keep on stuff with that stuff because that is part of my job as a writer to be aware of those things. Um, and in some cases, in some cases, yes, like for a while there, writing erotica was all about really um, pushing the boundaries. And so if you had like people who were older in your stories, they got a lot of sort of acceptance and accolade because there wasn't a lot of that. And of course, now there's much more of that, which is awesome. Um, and so I feel less like I, I want to push those boundaries because those boundaries have been pushed. Um, right. And so, so certainly I change a little bit of like, okay, well, what's the thing that's not getting talked about? What's the thing that isn't getting included? Um, am I interested in that? And if the answer is yes, then I will often, you know, consider doing a story that's specifically about that. But I have to I have to be interested and excited about it first. Sure, kind of kind of the same way you 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 wandered through the various role playing games. It was it's whatever captured your imagination, whatever captures your heart. That that's where everything else is going to follow, right? Yeah, I'm very much a neophile. You know, I, I search out new things constantly. Um, and then, you know, much of my creative process is sort of mushing all these things together. And, and there's a space in there, right, between, you know, I sit down and watch this TV show and I read this comic book and I listen to this music and I take a walk with a dog. And somewhere in all of those things, there's this space of, of creativity where they kind of all get smushed together. And, and a lot of times that's where the ideas for me come from, the real passion. See, and we just had Jilly, Jilly Dreadful on the show a few weeks ago, and she had written this great article about uh, uh, the cult of originality uh, mm. uh, and, and decrying the, the tendency, I think, that a lot of writers, myself included, have as we, as we immerse ourselves into one project or another to literally cut ourselves off from the media, from the movies, from the shows, from anything that might in any way taint our vision and make us somehow derivative. And it sounds like you're doing the exact opposite of that. You, you're constantly, you've got the fire hose on and you're drinking deep at all times. <laughs> Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, you know, I think that has come with experience, though. When I first started, I was really afraid of that, I think, afraid of of sort of copying someone or, you know, letting something influence me. But once you do the work long enough, or at least for me, my experience has been that I, I have gotten enough confidence to know that that my voice, while it can be but while it can it can take all of these interesting things, it actually helps my voice rather than hinders it. It helps me become me. Um, because I, I'm such a magpie, right? It's like, oh, that's shiny. That's shiny. I'm going to do that. And, and the thing that I create out of all those shinies are something that no one else would ever create. And so for me, a lot of it was getting the confidence that I could take all these shiny things from other places and, and combine them in a way that nobody else could. Well, and that was exactly the point of, of Jilly's article was was that the, the, the furnace of, of creativity is so unique in each individual that while you may pluck on, you know, arrows relationship or or you know the game of thrones death scene or whatever it'll be your unique radar that's picking up on that and the weaving of those threads together will be utterly unique once it reaches the page yeah that's a great way to put it <laughs> thank you <laughs> um you write a lot of nonfiction as well and i would imagine when you write something that's nonfiction, you do so because you feel like you have something to say is your fiction another way to say something or is it coming from a different place? Ooh, good question. That is a good question. Um, I think that I don't, I, 
I don't write anything unless I have something to say. And so in some ways it's the same, like, you know, and, and that sounds kind of weird because it sounds like my, I'm saying that my fiction has like a message, but I don't actually think about it like that. I think about it like, is, does this story need to be told in the world? Um, am I the person to tell it? Uh, and those kinds of things are important to me, whether I'm doing fiction or nonfiction. I'm actually sort of uncomfortable with nonfiction. I don't mean articles and stuff because I do a lot of those, but like the sort of really personal nonfiction stuff um, is hard for me, which is weird because I'm very open and I'm very out there. But I have that sort of imposter syndrome that I think lots of creative people have, which is why is my life interesting? Why am I writing about it? And so perhaps <laughs> if fic- nonfiction more than anything else I write really has to have a purpose and it has to have a need. And I have to really believe strongly that I have something that I want to say that is unique to me. Um, whereas fiction, like all those other characters matter a ton, even though, and because they're not me. And so I have a lot more like, Oh, I can write about this because this matters to this character. And, and there's less sort of pressure on me to feel like I have to have an interesting life or something interesting to say about myself. (laughs) I can see that. I can totally see that. But, but Christian, I totally get what you're coming from because you fiction and, and Shauna, I will, I will say your fiction is, is very intimate and, and, worms its way through I think a lot of the screens and filters and defenses that people have just because it's so honest and so forthright because it gets so close because it's so intimate and personal uh, uh, I I think the opportunity for and you can almost hear the air quotes an agenda uh, is 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 right there because the message whatever that message is and and almost universally it's it's a very positive one uh, sometimes it's a scary one but it's, a, it's a, it ultimately is an honest one uh, uh, it gets through and there is you know is there is there a responsibility for writers because our craft when done well can be so intimate uh, do we have a responsibility to be careful about what we write about, about what we shine the light on? Do we have a, a responsibility to to own what we're writing, do you think? Um, I think so, although I, I would say it isn't the responsibility that some people talk about. Um, for me, the responsibility is to tell the emotional truth of what it means to be human. Um, and that's a really complex thing to yeah. find after and explain, right? Because we're all so different. And, but so, so if I can get to the real emotional truth of what it means to be human, which is why I like to write about sex and death, right? These are the two moments when you're incredibly vulnerable. Uh, you have this opportunity to like be truly yourself and put down all the screens and connect with people. And, and we choose so often in our lives to not do that. We choose to hide. Um, and so I, I want to, I want to explore, you know, whether someone hides or doesn't hide, um, whether they make that choice, that's really important to me because I think that if if all you do is say to people, look at this, look at this moment and decide how you feel and think about it, I feel like that's my responsibility. Well, and 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 the bringing people to that moment, that that I would I would argue is part of the writer's craft because you can't just drop people into that moment and say go, you, <laughs> you you set them up, you bring them in. There's there's a seduction, there's an allure there. Is is writing a seduction, Shauna? Um, I don't know that I would use seduction because seduction feels like it has the potential to be untrue, right? The seduction mm. is is sort of a, a putting a deception. on yeah. a deception, right? It could be. Um, I think it is more an invitation. Um, I imagine that you, you know, you have just entered the woods 
Um, and here I am saying, I will hold your hand and we will walk through the woods together. Let's see what it's like. And, you know, it might be scary. The wolves might come out or we might meet a girl with cookies or, you know, grandma <laughs> might like tea. You never know. But I'm here and I'm going to hold your hand and, and we're going to do this together. So I think of it very much as an invitation to go on a journey um, with no promises that that journey will be safe. <laughs> That's beautiful. I like that. I, and I, I think that I think that works for 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 every writer to to take that responsibility of of friendly native guide for whatever whatever story you're launching into that's awesome so a few weeks ago there was a fair amount of uh controversy a sort of a mini storm so to speak when the comic book x-man character iceman uh they have decided that uh this character is gay and this is something that had not previously been established with this character, but they're working it in as though it's just he has been always afraid to say so. But this has, you know, a lot of people have praised the decision, but there's also been people both on the side of not wanting it to happen at all, but also people who might be behind it in principle but don't like how it was handled. So obviously these issues are very fraught. Is there a right way to tell a coming out story or that kind of, uh, you know, very human, unique moment? Or is there a wrong way? You know, I think you actually answered that in your question, which is it is a very human, unique moment. Um, and so the, the right way is the way in which the character does that. And so I think like the, the X-Men thing, did they, they retconned it and moved him through time, I think. Well, I could get into the very geeky details if you would like. (laughs) I I can't quite remember, but, um, but, you know, for him, like, I thought that that the coming out scene was very true to his character, um, and true to his friendships. And so, um, there's a lot there that they clearly, um, they clearly made it his own. Um, and of course, anytime you have anything like that, someone who comes out or, or, or retconning in any kind of way, right, where you're changing the story in any shape, um, people are going to be mad at you, right? It's just part of the, it's part of being a creator right now, which is a whole t- different topic, I suppose. Um, but I feel like being true to the character and being true to the story without sort of a, a, a sort of hard message, like without hitting people over the head and without saying this is the right way. I mean, I'm a believer that there is no right way to do anything. There is only the way that you think is best. Um, and and ha- the hardest part about being a creator for me is learning the way that, that it works for me, right? I think this is true for everyone. Um, and so I think that if you – I think that moving forward with respect – uh, of the characters and of the story and a, and a little bit of the fans, right? Cause that's part of the controversy as well is, is respecting what the fans think and know and this character that they love. But I, I do think that that, for me, that's kind of not as important as actually uh, respecting and being true to the characters and the story itself. And I think that's part of the, the hue and cry with, with a lot of the changes that are coming about with Thor becoming a woman with, with, uh, 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 you know, a, a black Captain America now, and a lot of the changes that are going on. I think a lot of the fans are feeling like, like this is a marketing effort to to broaden the demographic reach of the comics and not faithful to the story. Uh, uh, and and in that respect, you know, maybe they have a point. I don't know. I do think it's really hard to separate the two. Um, you know, 
because because we are in a culture probably for the first time in ever, if not in a very long time, where where diversity is actually a selling point, right? How long right. have those of us who worked mm-hmm. for diversity worked for diversity against it being a selling point? And so now that it's sort of a popular positive thing, of course there is that perception, which isn't to say that people that that's not why people are doing it, right? But I think it's often it's often both of those things from companies, right? They they it's important to them and it's a viable option now because it's not going to hurt sales, right? It could actually increase sales. Um and and it's it's a difficult place for me because I am uh, you're in a unique position. You're you're <laughs> you are the you are the man, and you're also the creator. You know, and I, I use that capital M heavy air quotes, of course. Well, of course, it's it's interesting because you know, I mean, we're a company of six people, and so and we we were founded two and a half three years ago, two and a half years ago, I can't remember. And so it's really interesting that, that people are like, well, you're the big company now. And, and of course, <laughs> no, we're totally not. We don't know what we're doing. We're very new, very young and overworked. And, you know, um, and so it's an interesting place to be where people see us as the man. And yet we're really just six people trying to make cool stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, but the presence that, and the spirit that has infused Numenera and the strange and, and all of the collateral material. I mean, I think this is the first role playing game that came out with it with a, a sex and love uh, manual for the world and for the races thereof, which is brilliant. Uh, uh, and that aesthetic kind of defines you as a thought leader and you know, take the word thought off, defines you as a leader, whether you're six people or 600. Uh, do you do you feel do you feel the 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 t- the tugging between your your uh, personal aesthetic and and that spirit that you're infusing and the drive for sales or is that not a factor with with what you're doing? Well, you know, we are really lucky to live in an age of of things like Kickstarter because of the fact that we can make what we love. Like our our motto at Munchka Games is make games that make things that we love and make them to the best of our ability. And so with things like Kickstarter, we can do that, right? We know ahead of time if we kickstart a project and it fails, we know ahead of time that our market doesn't want it. And so right. We could still make it if we wanted to, but we would know before we put sort of too much time and effort into it that it that it wasn't something that the market wanted. And so we get to say, hey, this is this awesome thing. We're excited about it. Are you guys excited about it, too? Um, and, and there was, you know, that's that's wholly new to be able to do that, to be able to sort of just put out the things that we love and be passionate about them um, and know that the fan base will support that. So and because we have a team of creative people there's very little like, oh, you can't do that because it's not going to make money. Um, and so, you know, we have a team that like gets gets that we need to survive. We need to pay our employees and pay health insurance and all those important things to us. But at the same time, we don't need to make a gazillion dollars. We just need to sustain our company. And, and that gives us a lot of freedom to just <laughs> be like, you know what we should do? We should make a sex and love glimmer. Oh, yeah, that'd be fun. Let's do that. Um, so, you know, I hope we never get to the place where we're so big that we can't that we can't just follow our hearts, that we can't make things that we love. Um, because at that point I would have to go find something else to do. <laughs> to a new chapter in the, in the, in the epic saga of Shauna Germain. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're running out of time, but I got one last question that I want to ask you, Shauna. Uh, uh, and that is, uh, we've had a couple of, of guest hosts on the show with a strong poetry background. Uh, and you are definitely one of those individuals. And I was wondering if you could speak just a little bit about, uh, uh how poetry informs your writing uh and possibly vice versa is is there 
what experiences that you drew upon and discovered in writing poetry have made you a better writer? Well, first I'll tell you how it made me a worse writer, (laughs) (laughs) which is that that I can tell a story in 11 lines. And so my first short stories were like a thousand (laughs) words. And I was like, holy crap, that's so long. I'm amazing. (laughs) You invented flash fiction. (laughs) (laughs) We can't accept this. This is way too short. Um, and so it kind of it took a lot for me to sort of un- unlearn and then relearn how to tell a story that was longer because I was like, why do I what 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 am I going to use to fill all this space? There's just <laughs> all these words that I have to find. Um, and so it was actually detrimental. The way that it helps me though is you know with poetry you have to you don't have to like for for me with poetry I want to know what the word means and I want to know all the repercussions of the word and all the history you know all the etymology like what if I say chapel what does that mean through history and what, how many different meanings can I have? And, you know, if I put it next to this word, does it change the meaning? Does it alter it? And so I, I became really sort of obsessive with not just the word as we know it now, but the sound of it and what it, what it implies and how it carries back through our history of society and understanding. And so I'm very voicey. So like my strength is probably characters and then my second strength is voice. And I think that absolutely comes from poetry and this understanding that every word matters and how you break a sentence matters and how you break a line matters and the words you choose and put next to each other. And, and having done that for so long with poetry is sort of instinctual with my fiction. Thank goodness, because otherwise I would never be able to write more than five words. I'd be like, All right, <laughs> next to this. Um, but I think it helps you develop voices and really, you know, create sort of a lyrical language. And, and I have a lot of voices in my fiction. Some of my fiction is very lyrical and some is very much cut and dry and kind of you know, fisty and, and full of swear words. And um, and that's very purposeful. I, I try to choose the voice and the language and the words and the sentence structures that echo sort of the, the themes or the, the the sensibility of the fiction. You are the Lexi Maven after all. <laughs> so. Do you read your uh, work out loud to yourself as you write? I don't. Um, the voice in my head, the voice is in my head. <laughs> uh, I'm so voice driven that I hear it in my head constantly. And so I can hear if a word is sort of out of out of place um, as I'm looking at the text. Um, it probably wouldn't hurt me to read stuff out loud because I've had stuff recorded and I've listened back and I've been like, oh, <laughs> um, but I think for the most part, it's a really internal process and reading them out loud I get so absorbed in the sound that I forget that I'm supposed to be doing other anything other than sort of listening to the singing song of of words and it stops making sense. And so I kind of have to do it in my head. <laughs> I can only imagine what it's like in your head while you're writing, Shauna. It sounds like a fascinating place. <laughs> Well, friends, the, uh, the 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 clock has just brandished five Numenera at me, and it's triggered them all at once. So I can only assume that means we are way, way out of time. Or time is going to bend, and we're going to loop back and start all over again. One of the two. We'll find out in just a couple of seconds. Uh, Shauna, thank you so much. Shauna Germain, this has been a, a, a delight. And, of course, we wish it was longer, uh, but, but leave them wanting more. That's our motto. So thank you, ma'am, very much. This has been fun. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Christiana, there, we covered a lot of ground in that 20-ish minutes. What 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 kind of jumped out at you that's going to that's going to stick with you after we flip off the the record switch? Well, I just really like the idea of trying to have, the, you know, the truth of the humanity in any situation because mm. I I tend to, you know, the stories that come to me are also very character driven. 
but there can be a tendency sometimes to have to try to tweak them or nudge them into fitting into the rest of the plot you might have. And so that can be difficult to try to maintain the truth of that character um, if they're not wanting to fit in the plot box that you had. Sure. And so maintaining the, the truth of their humanity is definitely something that I think a lot about. Yeah. And, and that's a real trick. I mean, that's, that's, that's something I think we all wrestle with in one way or another. Uh, for me, it was, it was kind of a, a recurring theme. It came up, but uh, specifically when we were talking about the, the Iceman coming out segment of the interview and, and trying to point out that, you know, ultimately it comes down to, Figuring out how it works for me, uh, uh, how how it works for her as the creator of whatever individual piece you're working on, and that really struck me. Uh, it, it, it's it can be very paralyzing to invite the whole world into your creative process as you're trying to craft a story or a character or or tell a tale, and and you know, really the measure of a writer will be how that truth is expressed uniquely through you and no one else can nobody else has any fucking business in that in uh. that equation right there uh, uh, and it's it's you know that, it was just a good affirmation that you know like what what is it King says you you do the first draft with the door closed and the second draft with the door open or first draft drunk and second sober I don't know but the idea being is that that first draft is all you baby uh, uh, and rolling forward with that that was a good affirmation for me. So, friends, thank you so much for tuning in, as always. Now, the awesomeness of the roundtable is thus. You come back in seven days, and we'll have Christiana and Shauna and a fabulous guest writer gather together once again. And and with that gathering shall come an epic eruption of brainstorming fabulosity that will literally shake the pillars of the potosphere. You will not want to miss that. So do please, seven days right here. Check it out. It's going to be fabulous. And I know that's seven days. That's a long time. And and. Christiana, what, what what can our listeners do to fill the time between now and seven days from now? Try to find the marble in the oatmeal. <laughs> Is that a Zen Cohen? Is that what you just threw out for me? It's actually a reference to the movie UHF with Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> oh, man. See? And that goes on my Netflix queue. <laughs> That's awesome. To, uh, to make a metaphor out of it. There's a lot of stuff out there that's not what you want. And sometimes the thing that you do want is hard to find in there, but still worth it. Awesome. Absolutely. Which kind of segues gracefully into my ubiquitous tagline, which is you find what you're looking for. So, friends, if you go out looking for the awesome, the wow, the oh, hell yes, that. If you go out looking for that, I promise you, you will find it. We will see you in just seven days. Until then, you guys stay cool, be frothy, and be awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David Labroyer, 
Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.